Hello everyone. My name is Sean Zahidi, Vice President of Rad Marketing. The future of Canadian real estate is on the horizon, and I'd like to welcome you to the future frontiers in residential real estate, an exploration of the challenges of the Canadian real estate industry and innovative solutions to shape a stronger future for our communities. I'm here today with industry experts, Terry Olnick, President and Managing Director, Canada and Multiplex, a leading global construction company focusing on sustainability, and Nama Blunder, architect, urban designer, urban planner, and co-founder of Smart Density, an advocate for bold vision to change what good development can and should look like. Together, we'll dive into complex web of supply and demand, the ever-growing approval processes, inclusionary zoning, and the future of our cities to shine a light on the path towards a more sustainable market. Thank you to both of you, Nama and Terry. It's an honor and pleasure to work with both of you. I know we all represent different aspects of this business. Uh, I guess it's very crucial for us to get together as a community and to be able to educate our market And because there's a lot of buzz out there, right? And people don't understand what's happening to the city, especially working class, you know, people who've been here for their whole lives, right? So the pricing that we're facing right now, the dollar per square foot when it comes to new products, resale, the pricing happening to, you know, low-rise end of the business. And I thought this is a great opportunity for us to bring leaders from our industries so to be able to talk um, um, and touch basically point on all aspects of uh, what's going on to new developments and our residential, especially, end of the business. Uh, Namo, I'm going to st- start with you uh, for our first question. We hear a lot, a lot of buzz, a lot of articles about what's happening to the city, what the the, the municipal government and, as, uh, you know, to some extent, provincial government trying to uh, do to help the planning process, you know, the densities, you know, or uh, as uh, your company says, the smart density, right? That's what we've been missing in this town. And as much as we want to be global city, and uh, I believe we all agree that we're missing a lot of stuff when it comes to infrastructure, the process. So, and uh, I know you're a bit, big also advocate when it comes to traveling and encouraging everyone to travel the world, see what they're doing in their respected market. So uh, I want to ask the first question with you and see what is it that we're missing in this city? You know, to be honest, when it comes to, uh, it starts with planning and that's a big factor. And uh, I couldn't think of anyone but you to, to, to answer that question. I'm flattered. Thank you. That's a great question because we need to understand that there's a direct link between the how long it takes to get a building approved to the cost that eventually we buy the unit. It's, it's very much directly linked. And right now it takes about the same time to get a building approved and get it built. And only one of us is doing actually a, f- a physical work, right? And when you look at the city of Toronto, and you look at the land use map, for, for example, it, which is basically helping us dictate where growth needs to go. 75% of the city is either single family zoned or parks and open spaces, which is wonderful. But it creates the scarcity of land that uh, directly affect how much you can build. And as a direct result, the cost for each unit, because we can't do much. It's less than 10% of the city that we can actually build condos on. And looking back at the single family homes, Toronto is growing. And that ratio of one family per one lot is not sustainable. That's true. Yeah. 
No, that that's definitely actually to the point. So I've been to Europe. I'm pretty sure you you're savvy, both of you savvy travelers, right? Uh, if you go, I've been to Europe, Middle East. So you go to like major cities, you see a lot of like not a super tall towers, like we talk, and not many houses. You see a lot of stuff in between. We're talking like four story, five story, like apartments, or uh, they don't call it condos. It, it's I guess they call it apartments, but that's what you see in the city, right? That's a, that's the thing we're missing. I know that we it's trying to be achieved, and some developers trying to do that. Uh, and Queen uh, West, you know, I've seen some also uh, when it comes to Broadview and and I guess East Chinatown. So I'm trying to see. Uh, I, I've seen some 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 uh, developers trying to do like a four story, five story. So, but they have a lot of obstacles to, to deal with. Um, I guess the next question comes to to Terry when it comes to uh, construction world, and what is it that you think we're missing in this city? You know what? Like, of course, we've all been uh, dealing with obstacles when it comes to the problems. We talk, we're talking about a lot of, uh, or we hear a lot about escalation in cost. And that's something that probably you're the only one who can answer here because um, I wanted to hear from source. What is it that you guys deal with when it comes to trades, lack of labor, all the stuff that uh, can be fixed or imp- be improved um, and I really wanted to hear your point of view on that. Well, thanks for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to be here with both of you. I, I would say right now it's, it's the laws of supply and demand. Um, immigration did slow in Toronto for a bit, uh, but that didn't really solve the supply problem. There's a pent up desire for people to uh, launch their construction projects, their condos, their apartments. And there's only so many sub-trades, so many construction managers in this market. And, you know, the city of Toronto um, is having a hard time processing a lot of these applications. And for, to a certain extent, it's actually helped the construction market a little bit. Because if, if all of these approvals were to drop tomorrow, Toronto would be chaos. You know, you would, it, would be, it would be absolutely impossible to build what is coming in the city. So as as we're navigating our way through opportunities in construction, we have to carefully select what projects we're gonna work on and make sure that as a construction manager, we have staffing capable of building those projects and that the sub-trade community has capable resources. So right now what we're seeing in, in the city is a massive shortage in skilled trades. So uh, bricklayers, sheet metal workers, etc. Um, rebar is another example of uh, crews that simply are not available to to continue and facilitate the construction process. So subtrades are now pricing their work higher and higher and higher just so that they can keep up with the demand to find people into this work. And globally, there's a massive escalation right now in in metals and plastics. What you, there's there's almost a, at, at, at some point, certain product has escalated 300% because of supply and demand. Wow. There's, there's a plastic tubing they use for the construction process that they embed in concrete. I know one electrical, one large electrical contractor in this, in this city is looking for a million square feet or a million linear feet of this product. And they're only getting shipped 400,000. What does that mean? That means concrete can't get poured because they can't embed all of the services into the concrete. So that's what we're facing right now 
in uh, in this market, and we see the demand for construction uh, growing in the city over the next ten years. So supply chain is going to have to be really, really considered carefully um, when you're planning a project. Interesting. No, honestly, like the, some of these figures are very staggering. It's like, and it's scary, you know, knowing the amount of people coming to this country. Uh, I was uh, reading something and I believe we, oh, we did a study back uh, uh, six months ago, I believe. And we looked at 2019 immigration we have for this country, right? And with a very lucrative, you know, uh, plan that this government's actually projecting. So $1.2 million, uh, sorry, 1.2 million people uh, by the end of 2023. So 38 to 40% of those people settle in greater Toronto and Hamilton area. That's a very big number. So going back to your point, so having construction issues, having problems when it comes to planning. So these things going to you know affect big time. And at the end of the day, the consumers are the ones hurting the most because they're the ones going to pay uh, way higher than they should, you know, in the city because lack of density that we could have when it comes to like that middle of uh, uh, between like a high rise and, and a detached homes. And of course, when it comes to construction, the cost, the, the, the process, the, the timing. So um, there's a reason we, we're standing where we're standing, right? So, and a lot of times I, I hear from consumers, we deal with a lot of people uh, um, and we have a chance to deal with them direct. So they say, why? Is it because developers are getting greedier? I said, no. If you look back 20 years ago, the margins and profits for developers were way higher than what it is today at a $2,000 per square foot. So, so the, that's exactly what, why we thought it's very crucial to have these type of conversation. So back to um, Nama, very interesting topic. Uh, topic. So um, we're talking about inclusion and zoning. So that's a big thing. And that's going to impact almost everyone in this industry, if not everyone living in this city. So uh, uh, I know you've written a lot of articles and a lot of, you know, try to educate everyone about this topic, but can you go deeper on this? I just want us to understand what we're exactly we're dealing here. So first of all, it's important to note that we are talking about one scenario of it and it, you know, in few months it could have another, right. another scenario or another uh, variation of the policy. The city, uh, they are talking about by 2030. So it's going to be staged and, and phased out in different phases, different percentages. Right now we are talking about uh, any development uh, that is 500 meters within a major transit area. So right now the city the, uh, identified 16 of those. So it's not across the city. It's not across the downtown. I get some very panicked calls <laughs> from my <laughs> clients. Um, so it is very well defined. And it's also the percentage. So if it's a condo or rental development, it's going to have different percentages and the, uh, how big the development is. So we are now talking about 100 units uh, or, or higher. Now, you know, you, you could ask yourself, oh, okay, so developers will just stop at the 99 unit count. Right. So there, the city also said, no, now we're going to do a minimum density to make sure that the, whatever it is, it reaches the, right. the unit count. It is a complicated, very much for, you know, for this uh, short conversation. 
I don't have the answer if it's right or wrong or even which side I'm I'm taking. Uh, I can tell you that, again, just going back, looking back to my first answer, we're talking about inclusionary zoning, but let's not forget that we have that 75% of zoning that is very exclusionary yes. in its nature because saying, okay, in 75% of the city, you can only have single family home. That is the opposite of inclusionary. That is the opposite of social inclusion. And I think as a city, as a society, it says so much about us that we prioritize single family home. Let's let's admit it. Rich yeah, and, uh, rich and privilege, number, yeah. yes. Rich and privilege of those who can afford buying a house in Toronto, that these numbers will also and I always say, like we're now in twenty end of twenty twenty one. Imagine this city twenty years from now. You think this is a housing crisis? We are building, We and you mentioned the numbers yeah. of, of immigrants uh, coming to the city, and, and I'm a proud immigrant myself. Imagine this city 20 years from now, because the phase of those units that are getting approved and then built is really slow. Like, I, I believe I heard something between not even 20% of what we should be approving and building to keep up with some sort of, of making sure it's, it's being delivered on time. So just imagine this city 20 years from today. So we are, when we're talking about the single family homes and our planning s- system or mechanism that allows those, what we call NIMBYs, not in my backyard, yeah. coming to any development application, open house and say, I, this is great, but not here. Tall building, sure. It belongs somewhere near the highway. Put it near the gardener. I heard of City Place. I heard of King West. This is where it belongs. So the, the fact that our planning system allows homeowners, again, the more rich and privileged, to come to the open house and dictate, dictate that any other built form or anyone else that doesn't maybe look like them would have the right to live in their neighborhood is a big, big problem when we talk about inclusionary zoning. So I, I don't want to. I know, to, no, to, that's a very know, sensitive in. topic too, right? I guess. Yeah. Uh, based on what I read, uh, so it's going to be two phases to this, and the second phase is going to come in, and it will be uh, implemented by 2030, I believe. So I guess we have to wait and watch, see what's going to do to our city, and whether whether or not this is going to be something good. It will be an interesting good. thing for sure. It's an yes. interesting debate. Yes, it's a very interesting yes, debate. yes. I hope they got it right. I doubt it. Anyway, so <laughs> Terry, what do you think? Like, do you think it's going to affect your world when it comes to uh, um, construction and the management when it comes to what you do? The, the only thing that would really impact us is if there is a race to beat any sort of regulation change, it creates a spike in applications. And then usually when those applications make their way through the system, there's a spike in construction. So it creates these, these sort of waves that you know, we we have a forecast for building. We have our eye on what's coming in the city, where it is, where we're, we'd like to be building. And then we'll get phone calls out of the blue. I need a budget right now because I'm going for, I'm, I'm going, I either want to buy a piece of land or I'm going for my zoning or we've got our, we've got our approvals and we want to go. So, you know, it's the best thing you can do for a construction company like ourselves is give us a runway and allow us to plan, Right so that we can bring everybody on board. And the more organized you are with the construction development and you create flow in construction, the better the pricing can be. Right. It's when you get chaos, when things get expensive. Yes. Um, no, I couldn't agree more. But uh, one thing I want to add when it comes to 
uh, sales and marketing uh, of these projects that we work on. Uh, so I look at developers, they say, okay, I had 100% of my building. This is what it could get my profits and my margins from. Now I have to get it from 95 to 90% of the building, right? So that means that all buyers, the 90% buying those buildings gonna pay for it. So I believe at the end of the day, it's gonna impact big time when it comes to uh, cost for the consumers thinking of buying these future condos. So um, I just wanna quickly touch base on something that uh, I'm curious myself, uh, Nama. Um, basically, if you look at the inclusionary zoning, so uh, do you think it's gonna be something good for um, uh, uh, the lack of supply that we have for when it comes to rental? Do you think that's gonna help? That's, that's a great question. And for the time being, rental doesn't really change the equation or formula when you approach the city. They, there is no bonus density for rental versus condo. I, I do want to touch on, on what you just said about the 90% compensating for the 10%. I agree with you. I think it's definitely one of the consequences. The city did its own independent study saying eventually it will have this reverse effect of bringing cost of land down. I I maybe I'm pessimistic or hyper-realistic. I doubt it. I doubt it too. <laughs> I, I, because eventually it will be making 10% affordable by making 90% less affordable. That is definitely a scenario. Right. Uh, as per the ro- rental versus condo, I think we definitely should have density bonuses as right now we have this tool. And with the inclusionary zoning, the city is saying, okay, it's, it's going to be the exact same box, the, the, the same box you're allowed to build but change the, the unit type. I think we should, you know, have a relief and add some density bonus to have additional stories on, on top of the building that will compensate for the affordable housing. But it shouldn't be within the very rigid planning system that we have right now. So, so what's going to happen to pending applications with city? At what point are they all going to be grandfathered, like the ones pending with city, Or how, does it, how is it going to work? That's a question probably to a to a lawyer and not to, not to a planner. Uh, I and because they also didn't uh, set the the timeline when when it's gonna start. It was supposed to be January first, twenty twenty two. I we are now end of November. Yeah. I don't I don't know. Right. Okay. Great. So Terry. So uh, one of the biggest topics is that. So the you know. Um, technology, right? The future of real estate when it comes to construction, you know, planning, you know, sales and marketing, the um, AI, you know, augmented reality, the drones and all this stuff that, you know, they sound very interesting and sexy, but in real life, I, just, I don't know how, how much of those we use in this industry. So I know um, you work uh, as part of Multiplex. You guys have different divisions around the world and you probably work and talk to your peers and see what they do in other countries. I just want to see what is it that we're missing in this city and this country uh, because, again, you guys are you know national company. And what is it that we can incorporate that is happening in places like Australia, for example? Well, that's, that's, a, that's a really big question and topic. Um, you know, I would say that as it comes to digital adoption, Construction is probably just over top of agriculture as it, as it relates to technology. There, there is huge opportunity in technology and digital uh, for us to overcome a lot of these challenges that are, we're facing. So, you know, the one thing, the one thing that 
we we're, we're looking to do in the construction market is improve our speed to market. Okay. What, completing the construction process, the sooner, the better for everyone, including ourselves. We want to get onto the next project. What, what happens is in a lot of scenarios, if you don't have a design that's properly coordinated, those problems translate into issues out on site. Once they become a site problem, it, it, it really exponentially expands cost and time effect of those problems. So what you want to do is solve those problems early by using technology. Okay. So there's platforms out there that's, uh, that's called building information modeling, BIM used in manufacturing for years and process and design, but never really translated through to construction. So what we do at Multiplex is we actually adopt the design models and you'll have an architectural model, a structural model, mechanical models, but they usually reside independently and they're given to the contractors independently. And that's when you find the problem because this doesn't fit and that doesn't fit and it becomes a problem. What we do is we layer these uh, designs, we'll build them up in 3D and then we layer them together and that's called federating the model. Once you federate the model, you'll find all of the clashes digitally rather than people standing outside out on site scratching their head saying, what's next, right? So when you can eliminate those clashes early, you're ahead of the game. Now with sophisticated software, we're able to model the schedule attached to the federated model. So it's called a 4D. So we produce 4D models now. We virtually build the building before we even hit the construction site. And uh, you know, examples of two or three past projects, we found thousands of clashes that we eliminated in the coordination. Now that gives us the confidence in exact quantities, where we're buying the material, how we're gonna build it, how we're gonna sequence it, and it becomes more of an orchestra when you're in construction. And the most important thing you can achieve in construction is flow, flow on the site, which reduces changes and extra costs for the developer and, and it actually really improves quality for the end owner. So we're relying on that technology heavily uh, drones are now being introduced. Uh, robots are being introduced. AI is being introduced on site. So now you have this glut of technology and data. What do you do with the data? So it's what, what, what we're recommending to developers now is that they have a, a digital strategy in mind. Okay. There's going to be all of this data developed in the design. There's going to be all of this data developed in the as built of the construction process. Then what are you going to do with all this data once you own the physical building? That's where AI starts to, to sort of kick in. There's also technology called Internet of Things, IoT. So that's becoming far more prevalent. You know, very, very low cost sensors strategically placed in your building can add a lot of value. So when you take all of this data and you pair it all together and then you couple it with that model I was talking about, that becomes what's called a digital twin. Soon you're going to start to see many buildings are attaching themselves to what's called this digital twin. You can isolate the building. You know exactly where all of your assets are, what the, when, they were, when they were delivered, when they were last maintenanced. But then you can start to improve the optimization of your elevators, how people park, how they maneuver in the building. And the model will start to predict the behavior of people. And once you can start to predict the behavior of people, then all of a sudden you're optimizing their time, their lifestyle, and it really makes a big difference. And this data is going to become very, very valuable. 
So a lot of developers right now are sitting on gold mines as it relates to data, and they don't even know it yet. So if they set themselves up with the North Star being a digital twin, it aligns everything else in the process. Wow, that's that's a great answer. You know what? Honestly, that's why I have Terry here because there's no one in construction world can talk better than Terry to get everyone engaged in the conversation. Thanks for that. So Nama, back to you. When it comes to planning, and uh, I know the name of your company is Smart Density, and uh, I believe all you see or all you think of is how to improve the city and the planning when it comes to uh, GTA in general, right? Uh, what is it you think that... Uh, we were missing in terms of like uh, things that being implemented in other countries and uh, when it comes to technology, right? So, and something that we can leverage and improve our market. I just want to say, I cannot compete with that answer. <laughs> uh, my part of the industry and, and it, it, Terry started his answer with the, the beam. And this is something that today, when I say consultant, not using a software that has disabilities, like, oh, Really, uh, so hopefully it will becomes more and more the, the norm. Our part of the industry is so low tech, and it doesn't just speaks to how much potential th there is, but how much we can take it also in baby steps to make it shorter. As I said earlier, or one of my first answer was, it takes almost the same time to get the building approved and get it built, which is ridiculous. Right. Uh, regardless of Terry's comment of maybe it's a good thing for the construction mm -hmm. industry to not uh, to to get it a little bit in a queue. But when I look at things on how how it take how long it takes. It, there's also a direct implication on on cost because if the owner now needs to hold the property, pay property taxes for three years at least, we are talking about substantial cost. So when when we talk about doing things smartly or the the smart way, it's really about efficiency. And there's so much room to grow. And I I, I when we discussed this question, I thought, wow. We are so low tech. We are so behind. I wish we'd just be more efficient. And, and the, you know, what Terry just said about having the data, the city has all the data because it needs, it must be publicly accessible. You as a, as a resident of Toronto has the right to review my application in depth, my technical drawings. Yet it's not. It not, it's not stays uh, uh, um, accessible or the building permit is not accessible. So there's so much data that could be stored and shared to make the process more efficient long term. But right now we are sitting behind really being low tech, really being very like, you know, pen and paper. And I I'm know, not kidding. That's, that's unfortunate. Actually, that's what we've been seeing in our uh, industry. I mean, when it comes to sales and marketing, and that's why we took the initiative two years ago. I remember that was a big thing back then, and still it is today. We 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 have a, a, a division or services we call the radar, rad AR. So that we try to incorporate, you know, data, you know, uh, uh, and information and and great platforms to be able to navigate the market and also give right advice to our developer clients. Because at the end of the day, they want to know when you're like developing something on Sinclair West, for example, what do I need to build? 
for the consumers to respond to, right? What What's the right product? Is it a one bedroom? Is it a 600 square feet one bedroom? Or is it a 700 square feet uh, condo, right? What's the price point? What Where's my sweet spot, right? All this stuff and all the information, as you said, it becomes really critical, right? And at the end of the day, I believe anyone in this industry, whether you're on the planning side or in the construction side or sales and marketing, they have to appreciate and, and to be able to understand and see what's happening in the future. Because at the end of the day, the consumers are the ones paying for all these problems that we have in the city. And they're ultimately paying the price. I uh, just uh, had a privilege to, uh, you know, I was at the lunch with developer today and uh, they mentioned a staggering figure when it comes to underground parking, especially on ma- major transit uh, uh, intersection. And what they told me was, Sean, it will cost us $240,000 per parking stall for us. So we're losing money, even as selling like, for example, like $170,000, we're losing money. So that's becoming a big issue. I know there was an article that came out on um, MSN, I believe lately. And uh, so what, what's your take on that? I mean, do you think these people, like new generation, they really need parking? Do we have to give them parking, underground parking? Because that's 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 that cost gonna be translated and be put on uh, future buyers of these condos. You know, that that's a great point. The cost of underground parking and all of the construction that goes with it is very real. And, you know, the riskiest part of construction is going into the ground, getting into the ground, finding where there was a, a misunderstanding in an application uh, by a design engineer or understanding water, contaminated soil. And let's face it, as the bill as the city densifies. Um, accessing the underground and developing the underground is getting more and more difficult. Where we used to have a great big expansive site, we could we could stage trucks for concrete delivery, etc. Now it's all just in time because we're building basically a postage stamp. And that postage stamp has to go down six, seven stories. And we all know what it's like to drive around in the city right now. Imagine you're a concrete truck trying to get to a construction site that desperately needs your concrete. So yes, I agree with them. The cost to get into the ground and any risk that comes with it is very expensive. You know, w- one other thing I'd like to say about parking, though, is we're we're seeing a lot of lot of developers are underestimating the need for electric car charging. They're sure. they're fast forward five years from now, I'd say forty to fifty percent of the cars on the road will be electric. Yes, we're going to start to see autonomous cars and that'll reduce the need for parking because they're just on the road all the time delivering people. Okay, that's that's coming. But I, I strongly recommend that as a developer or a consumer, you're really looking at the electric car charging capabilities of that building. Because if, if you miss it, uh, finding um, an outlet in a parking garage just to charge your car so you can use it will become a very big problem for a lot of developers and a lot of condo owners. No, yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. It's, so now- it, it, it's a fascinating, it's actually our uh, part of the industry that it's fault and not and not terrorist the cause because, and I have so much to say, so feel free to edit it out in there <laughs> <laughs> when you edit it because first of all, we need to understand that we cannot t- talk about affordability and underground parking in the same sentence. And when I say affordability, I don't mean deeply affordable. I don't mean inclusionaries. I mean millennials, people who the next generation is going to buy condos. And I just want to be very clear before I practice what I preach. I live a a car free (laughs) style. um, And 
And the the and, and by the way, yesterday on the planning and housing committee by the, the council committee, they were starting to discuss new parking requirements. So there's hope, uh, but we need to have zero requirements. And I think it's something that the market do, could dictate because if a developer could not sell a unit without a parking, let them have it. It's their problem. They will solve it. But anywhere else, it shouldn't be coming from the city's regulation side of things to tell the developers how many parking and what is the parking ratio. And then the traffic department or transportation tells the developer it's not enough. Why is it the city's problem to begin with? I think we, we see, you know, millennials use less and less the, the car or automobile or depending on the automobile and are looking for this 15 minute neighborhood lifestyle that everything, right? That's why people are attracted right, to exactly. condos to begin with. Exactly. Um, and it shouldn't be coming from policy. And I think council is now understanding it. And, you know, if you would come to the city with an application two years ago with zero parking, they would look at you as, you know, where, where, where did you land? This is North America. Now there's really, the, they're very open-minded. We have several projects that are asking the city to be exempted for parking. But I can tell you who has problem when we go to, again, community open houses, I, and I had one last month. 90% of the conversation was not about height, was not about density, was not about design, was how do you expect us to believe that families could live without a car 180 meters from the subway station? <laughs> so <laughs> that was 90% of what the, the community members said. And that shocked me because again, I, and I, and I advocate for something that I also practice living near the subway. You don't need a car. We need, we, I need, and, and I have kid, I have a kid, I have an, another one <laughs> on the way. You need someone, we'll, we'll, we'll Uber, we bike ev- as much as we possibly can, can, and we use transit. But the future is, and, we, and it must be, for sustainability, for the next generations, that car is not part of the equation. And when we talk about condos and where condos belong, which is near transit, we can talk about owning a car. And in Vancouver, they did recently a research that showed that 40% of these underground parking are actually empty. So if it's in Vancouver, it's going to be the same in Toronto. No, I couldn't agree more. Actually, uh, I'll give you a real life example. We're working on a project uh, in Leaside and we have well over 60, 65% of the building, two bedroom and three bedrooms. So, but we have a cutoff for minimum size to be able to buy parking. And and I was shocked, you know, a lot of these people buying two bedrooms and these are not investors. These are mostly end users and they don't even ask for parking. We're literally like hundred steps from from future LRT station. And they say, listen, I'm a, I'm a like a 30 year old. I have a job. I have I'm, some of them, I'm married, young professionals. I don't need that. That's why I'm buying in that hood and I wanted to be able to walk. And if I really want, I can rent a car. If you really want, I have Uber actually. I'm just uh, an app away from next car, you know? So uh, it's happening. And I believe as much as it's hard for maybe me and you, Terry, to get used to this, like not having cars, but it's the next generation. And I, I did the math actually. It's, it was interesting with one of my friends lately. So listen, the amount of money you pay on gas or, or um, and, and, uh, insurance you know your lease payment or your if you're financing car if you add up if you are to do uber almost every single day like let's say 50 bucks a day 40 bucks a day you're still going to be better off 
not having you, a car. You're probably not even going to reach that. And and yes, and millennials are very good with uh, calculating these numbers. Yeah. And it's it's and, and let me tell you, we talked about immigrants. Do you know that insurance companies charge actually immigrants a much, much higher rate of insurance? Really? Because we don't have the... And I've been living, driving since I was 16, but not in Canada. So the insurance is just absolutely insane. And this is not just me. This is obviously applicable to all immigrants wow. in, in the city. So we are ta- you are talking about savings of thousands of tens of thousands of dollars a year which is what three vacations probably and you know you know this meme you're not stuck in traffic you are traffic so it's uh, true that's true you know you 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 mentioned something about sustainability and i think we should talk a little bit about that um there's there's a big wave coming in understanding what's called embodied carbon okay so embodied carbon in a in a in a project or a building is measuring the amount of energy it took to extract the resource, deliver the resource, refine the resource. So let's say steel as an example, and then the energy consumed to deliver it to site. Okay. And there's clean ways of manufacturing and there's dirty ways of manufacturing. So uh, imported steel is a great example. Are they using, you know, extremely uh, low tech coal-fired plants, or are they using a combination of recycle and renewable energy to, the, to manufacture this product? It's important for people to understand that you can measure this and you can offset a tremendous amount of carbon in the selection of material as it relates to a building. So you want to, you know, it's important for people to understand where the material came from and what the embodied energy is in the building. That's going to become a thing. People are going to want to know. Another thing is the life cycle of the building is really important. You know, there's, there's, there's amazing technology out there right now that really helps the energy performance of the building. Uh, a perfect example of that is called view dynamic glass. It will reduce the, uh, the amount of heat gain a building will take by up to 15 degrees in the space without needing air conditioning. That same glass will also act as your television. That same window system will also have built-in IoT that'll help understand carbon dioxide levels in the space, any contaminants in the space, and all this information becomes readily available to the end client. You should be looking for sustainable sustainability in your purchase or the development of your, of your building. Because right now, what we've built are these incredibly energy-emitting antennas in this town. And I think with, with the green standard Toronto is trying to implement, that's going to that's gonna create panic at the very last minute and drive cost through the roof. So you really want to understand what is the energy consumption of this building and am I, am I in a sustainable building? So people are going to start to want that more and more. And I think developers are just looking past that right now and delivering the minimum standard. And I think to, to sort of stand out and get ahead of it, developers and and buyers should should be asking the right question to force it sooner rather than at the last minute when it's too That's late true it's true terry nama i can't thank you guys enough i mean this is a great time that we had i know we can go on and on and on this you is know, a, a, and, a uh, very interesting uh, too <laughs> That's of course perfect. yeah like like yeah, I, I, I really appreciate both of you you know spending time uh i can't thank you enough 
uh, I hope our audience and listeners can take away something that uh, help them down the road, whether they're consumers, developers. Uh, at the end of the day, we're trying to elevate our industry and uh, we all, I guess, owe it to the city. So thank you to both of you. Thanks thank for having for us. Yeah. It, was, it was great work. Pleasure. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks.